Hey, what's going on, everyone? This is Jared. I'm back with the Halt Resume podcast. I know it's been a little while. Some things came up. But uh, today we're going to focus on somebody who has gone through hell and back in the trading world and is back to being a full-time trader. Go ahead and introduce yourself. What's up, everybody? My name is Mike. I am now a full-time day trader for the second time in my career. Um, I'll, I'll give a quick little background on the story that we're talking about here before we dive into things, just so everybody can have an idea of what we're talking about. So I I placed my first trade about nine years ago, and this was when I was still in college. That's what got me interested in the market. And after about a year after college, I quit, I, I made some money enough that I was able, enough that I could have an account to trade with and still be able I'm still afford to pay my bills. So I was like, okay, we're going to quit. We're going to do this. I got a job. I got a job at a prop firm in New York city and I went full time. And pretty much as soon as I joined the prop firm, I stopped making money and slowly started bleeding out. And after two years of being there, I had to quit and go back to the nine to five life. So it's, it's exhilarating to be here another four years later being able to quit my job again with more money, more experience and whatnot. So I'm, I'm excited. Right, and we're, we're happy to have you, you know, as, as we talked about before and people hopefully have heard, uh, this is a financial freedom podcast. So you have gone through being financially free back to a nine to five back to financially free and goal is to stay this way on and on. Yep. Um, so, so with this, let's go, you know, you have a background in a uh, prop firm and everything, but I want to, I guess we're going to take this not chronologically, but more of, um, what I see as, um, a- as everything goes here, right? So you are trading generally large cap stocks where if you look on YouTube or really anywhere you're sticking to see either people doing YOLO options or people are day trading, uh, generally small caps, right? What uh, what put you into the large cap area? Correct. So I definitely am large caps focused when it comes to trading, and that's when I, when I joined the the prop firm in New York City. That was what all of my bosses and mentors over there traded. So that was everything that we were talking about and everything that I was following, just the general overall market, and and that's really why I started with a focus in large cap stocks and when it when you break it down to how much leverage you have also the fact that you can trade options you can capture the same percentage moves or dollar dollar versus risk moves in large cap stocks versus um short short cap or small caps so i it's a very viable option for anyone who's looking to trade you don't have to trade some of these small cap names if if you want to get into trading no, I, so I agree wholeheartedly. I think, uh, especially with options and if you're day trading options, not selling them, you know, you have your limited risk with how how much a contract costs. I think that's a, a generally a good idea of going into it. And I mean, and by limited risk, I'm saying, you know, if you risk the whole contract to expiration, not have a stop loss or area on a chart where you're, you know, if it goes below this and holds below, I'm getting out type thing. I think uh, having the ability to do option contracts and have generally good liquidity and options on large caps, I think is useful. Um, along with, you know, being a large cap trader, 
Uh, you seem heavily focused in the technical aspect of things. I, you know, just going on your Twitter, you know, you're saying wedges, you see you have zones, you have a volume profile pulled up on a chart with support and resistance lines coming in there. Um, what made you go technical versus analytical? I know a large amount of hedge fund people, now they're trading with disgustingly large amount of money, uh, do a mix of both, but you seem pretty heavy on the technical side. Correct. I, I trade almost fully on technical analysis and then i would say with some psychology and when i first started getting involved in investing and trading um you know i started reading books and and figuring out what people use to make decisions and i was always more drawn to the trading side of things things and that's just where i what i started to build my base of knowledge around and slowly even as i was making mistakes and losing money i, I was picking up little bits of knowledge that allowed me to make the technical side pretty much everything that i use really uh so agreed agreed i as a trader myself i i lean on the technical side of things though i tend to go towards small caps because i think they're more entertaining probably not the smartest thing to do as a trader should stick with more safe moves but um one of the things i just reading through your story that i found you on your you know your success to failure to success story which is something that i think people need to hear um one of the things you know reading through this that you talk about you know it's how long have you been trading for have you gone through you know different markets i want to go on to especially since march happened and you know we've had one of the best recoveries of all time uh this definitely wasn't a market i, I want to say almost any trader has been through unless you've been in here 10 20 years so how'd that feel to uh see a brand new market mentality of you know you're shorting the whole way down you're not buying dips along that unless you're investing long term yeah sure so i mean it was it was definitely crazy to watch i've never seen the market go down so much and so fast maybe outside of a uh, an abnormal day or two but really just i guess from from a trading standpoint I still try to put, I still always put a focus on the particular trading setup. So no matter what the market is doing, I'm looking for a specific set of criteria for a very specific trading setup or multiple setups that I have in a playbook. And if things don't show up according to that, then I'm not going to place a trade. So I guess to to expand on that a little more, I have, you know, if the market is selling off strong and downtrending like we were in March because of COVID, I'm not going to be looking to take out, take breakout long trades. There might be certain bounce plays that I might be looking for in stocks or in strong uptrends or looking to short some pops as things are going down. Um, I'll, I still always will trade some earnings names. So if something comes out with earnings, um, I'll, if it has particular daily levels or intraday setups that come along, I'll still look to take that. So even though the market is always changing and things are different, I still have setups that help me find consistency in a world, in a market that tends to be different and inconsistent over time. Okay. So you hit two points I want to bring up and uh, go over there. Um, the first one is you have different setups for long and short. 
Um, you can generally see if you go on Twitter, look at like any any relatively large trader, they're generally short bias or long bias on trades. And you're looking both ends of things. I think that's something um, people need to move on to. I think that just uh, being long or short is not the best idea. I don't know how you feel about that. Um, which is why you know when I ask this question about it, I I agree completely. I don't see the point in only trading one side of the market. Um, I guess I'm to expand on that a little bit. When you're first starting out as a trader, it can be really helpful to focus on a niche and to learn that. And then once you can consistently make money from one thing, then it, it becomes a lot easier to expand. And then when I first started it at the prop firm i mean everybody everybody there traded both long and short so i was learning a lot of different types of trading setups and i wasn't mastering one immediately right off the bat which looking back is part of the reason why it probably took me longer than it could take you to become a profitable trader but in the long run because i continue i stuck with it and i continued to focus on learning different types of setups it's now been a, a great asset this year where the, there's been the, this this year I had the most consistent winning streak I've, I've ever had of I think I, I had like two two red weeks out of like 23 or 24 weeks or something and that you know that was not me just sitting there trading one strategy I remember I remember waking up one day and I didn't see any setups there and I actually the only setup that I traded that day was uh it was a i went long in a small cap name which one there's not a lot of there's a lot of people who only short small cap names and then i am primarily a large cap trader but when by knowing different types of setups and being able to wake up and see okay none of these other setups look like they're good because of the market market reasons xyz and then i can switch gears and go to something else is a is a really big asset and i'll also say that part part of why i've really made it a point to get that down in my own trading career is because i went to a prop firm and lost all of my money and then you're like when i when i was over there breakout trades was the type of trade that I, I had taught myself before, and that was a big part of the of how people would trade on the desk, and and some of my mentors and people over there would trade. And then during that time, the market, the overall market went sideways in a very tight range, and a lot of those breakouts were failed breakouts. We weren't getting good follow through, and I was like, "Holy shit! How can I make a career of this if?" my strategy isn't going to work for a year and a half because of the market is doing this. So now I'm going to make it a point to when I leave or yeah, I mean, even when I was there, I towards the tail end, I, I was starting to work on other things where now I, okay, I can short stocks. I'll even, I'll even come and sell, sell spreads. If I think that the market is just going to chop around. I mean, there's been enough action that I haven't to do, haven't had to do that very often, but I need to be able to make money if, the market's going to go sideways if the market's going to go up if the market's going to go down and i just think it's a, a great asset although there is something to be said for still being able to focus on a niche and size up in some some really good opportunities but i'm, I'm gonna do it all so you saying uh size up in a really good opportunity and you hit on it hit on it before brings me to the next uh big question it's something i think uh especially new traders don't 
don't understand or don't don't do it correctly um and it, it comes into the aspect of tracking or statistics of your trades what setups you have and and how things go i think that's been a game changer for me and i'm curious how that has changed your trading life sure so data i definitely think is something that's really important and it's something that honestly i wish i did more at this point but me at me now i'm i've been doing this for nine years where i've done enough trade reviews and tracked enough things where i've started to pick up what nuances might make something a better trade for me than than something else but i definitely think that that's something that everybody should be doing on top of reviewing your trades and then i'm also big on having different tier sizes and risking more money when the opportunity is there uh, yeah so i mean i have like my a plus a b c setups if it's not below the c setup like if it's like a super risky play it's not worth me going into it and i know on my a plus setups where for me i have statistically put out it's like a 95 percent winner i size in full size where if i have a c setup you're gonna maybe size in one fourth and i assuming you're doing something of the same where you have your go-to's that have good works because you know you've had screen time and that, that's how you trade in yep exactly and screen time is definitely important because if you're new to this you're not going to be comfortable risking a significant amount of money in something that you haven't seen over and over again and, and really understand so screen time is is huge when it comes to trading and i feel like a lot of people drop out too early in in the race because they underestimate how long it can take to really get that level of experience for things to start clicking. Uh, yeah, you're uh, for me screen time's the like number one thing to do as a trader and almost to the point where I don't even care if you're trading it. Sure trading it gets the psychology involved and that's one thing I want to talk about later. Um but just just seeing a move happen over and over and over and over again seeing you know like how heavily daily support can come into play or whatever you're trading whatever your strategy is uh seeing it happen maybe one of the most confident inducing things we'll say like if i see an a plus setup happen i'm confident going into it because i've seen it happen 300 other times so i and i assume you're around the same idea where you have your go-to's and you see them happen and you're like yes this is what i want this is when i size in this is what i do Yep, exactly. When you're staring at the screens for so many years and you see something start to set up, you go, shit, okay, I need to get paid right now because this doesn't happen all the time. And I know that that, that this is uh, as ideal of a situation as I can ask for. And that that's where you can really start to compound gains and add things up. I, I love how you said, shit, I need to get paid. <laughs> yep, that's that. I, I've talked about that a, a lot where, you know, yeah. Being aggressive can be very good as 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 a trader, in my opinion. When when done properly, like we can't be kind of pussyfooting behind the keyboard when 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 things are moving fast and and when there's a lot of opportunity. So and and I mean that definitely comes with with time, but that's one of the big things that can separate a, a good trader from a great trader. Oh, for sure. I mean, so for me today, I. Uh decided to pussyfoot around something and did not get paid out like I should have. I got paid out. Don't get me wrong. 
but it, it went from like an A plus setup to like a B setup. And I'm like, wow, I can't size in because like my risk isn't good here. Where I had like an A plus, but I was like, I, I don't like the look of this, even though I've seen it 200 times. I think that's where, you know, the screen time comes in. And then just like you said, being aggressive, having the confidence of going in the trade. Yep, exactly. And we all make mistakes. So we need to when when we know things are right and we know we're trading our best setups it can help to make up for those mistakes as well like no nobody's perfect trading we all do dumb things sometimes and we all have red days and, and red weeks but you need to get to the point where you really understand your setups and and the type of market environment that you're in and and know when it's time to size up Agreed. Um, so I want to talk about one other thing before we hit probably my favorite and least favorite topic about trading. Uh, and it's it's for financial freedom and it's something you put at the very, very end of your uh, your whole story and everything. It's um, have multiple streams of income so that when you take a loss in trading, it doesn't hurt. Um, in your idea of that, you know, you say average millionaire has seven streams of income or something along those lines and it helps with your psychology um a lot of people come into day trading think that it's like that get rich quick scheme or that like guaranteed i'm gonna make money to the point where this is all i need to do what what do you want to say about that idea sure so one when when you're learning something like trading like you said it's this is not a get rich quick game and this is something that i I try to preach a lot when people ask ask me about should i quit my job to trade full-time etc and i one of one of i'll usually ask people questions on their age and and financial situation and stuff because those things are so important when it comes to how you're going to approach your trading career because like and I, i think you you were telling me you did the same thing as me where you were trading full-time and you had bills to pay and it got to the point where you couldn't do it full-time and you were like okay now i need to kind of reset and get another income so just from a two main points one from a longevity standpoint of keeping yourself in the game long enough to get the skills necessary to make big money and from having an income that you know you're basic needs as a human being are going to be met such as rent and food so that you can approach the market with a clear head every day and patiently wait for the right opportunities that you're going to make sometimes that emotion and psychology can cause you to you you could short a minute too earlier or buy a minute too early or a day too early because something that you that is setting up the way that you want it to set up sets up but because you're you have FOMO because you don't want to miss it because now you you know that you need to be involved in this trade so that you can afford your bills and then now you've messed up the trade because you're too worried about the money yeah yeah I mean you know you I I said it before and I'm I'm happy to say it I've you know had to step back from full-time trading to make sure I can afford my bills and like you said and you know you did the same um I think that 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 idea of coming in here and it's an idea I had when I first started of, you know, this person's making $11,000 a day day trading. How can I do that? Well, they've been doing it for multiple years. They've lost more money than they've odds are gained or they're finally now profitable. It's not as easy as people think, right? Yep, exactly. It's 
more difficult than probably all of us imagine when starting really um so i want to go into my favorite topic before and this topic may last an hour and a half i don't know i don't know how long it's going to uh, talk about um and it's it's probably in my mind it's the most important thing when you come into trading uh and it is your psychology how you feel when you take a loss how you feel when you take a win how you feel when you made your biggest gain of the day or year or whatever um first let's start it off with what is your overall how do you talk about market psychology or trading psychology when you talk to people market psychology definitely definitely very important when it comes to how i talk to it with people i guess for, for i mean as far as you know doing doing this as long as i have the emotions are still 100% there what can make or break emotions negatively impacting your trading in in my opinion is sizing if i'm you know if, if i'm risking a ton of money in a trade i'm more likely to make decisions that aren't the right thing for the trade because of how much money is on the line whereas if if we said okay i'm i'm literally risking one dollar and maybe i'll make two dollars you're not going to be phased by by anything and it's a tricky balance because especially for for me at this point this this has been one of the things that i've gone back and forth between this year of of like really trying to push it because i've i've been consistent in making money but then also sometimes having to dial it back because it got to the point where certain certain at certain points i'm making making mistakes so again number one is just sizing if if you're making mistakes trading because of emotions you need to be trading smaller bottom line yeah so heavily agreed there i'm on my uh third attempt at sizing up a not even large amount of shares um but just dealing with my emotions when i you know i I, when i risk my risk you know i have a set risk i don't i know there are people who have like ideas of what they're looking at uh along with you i'm a technical trader so i have you know my set levels that i like to risk off of and everything but uh sizing for marketing or for market psychology or just trading and overall i mean i i see people that have been down thousands of dollars and they're okay but they're so used to that that thousands of dollars seems like hundreds of dollars where if i'm down a thousand dollars i feel like i'm ready to go throw up there's there's a large difference there right yep exactly so it, um, it's definitely person to person, and I think sizing up slowly over time as as you have consistent results is is the best way to do it. And then listen listen to your emotions and listen to yourself when you can feel and tell that if it's starting to bother you and and affect your trading. Yeah, for sure. And then uh, something out something to put out there. You don't need to be making twenty thirty thousand dollars a day. Two hundred fifty dollars a day is a sixty thousand dollar a year salary. And that's a uh, well above the average salary in America. So I don't think uh, people need to go ahead and try to ball out and make that hundred k a day. Yep, exactly. And I think literally, literally yesterday, I was calculating my budget for now that I'm full time, and I was like, okay, how much money do I need to make a day for me to meet all my bills and kind of just ballpark before taxes a day if I made two hundred fifty bucks a day. Like I'm chilling, and if I could just make 250 bucks a day, then I don't need to work for anybody else ever, which is a great feeling. And it, and that's that's really not that much money 
when when you think about it even with a even with a smaller account i'm sure there's a lot of people out there who have bigger pnl swings than, than 250 dollars a day too so it's it helps to put it in perspective yeah and that's that's uh, i think getting that out there and just saying that is a nice thing um something along with you know trading psychology is um handling a loss and handling like your biggest loss i mean or you even handling when you go red on a trade and you're still you know within your risk tolerance that that feeling of losing money especially when you're done paper trading or you've never paper traded and you're in with your own money that is a terrifying feel, feeling how how do you go about handling that in all three aspects of being down taking a small loss or even a normal size loss and then that big loss that hits how how's that feel and how do you like get better from it sure so taking taking a small and a normal loss is not a big deal i guess with those two it's only if i'm making bad decisions or making mistakes that is when i start to beat myself up over it and then taking a big loss is is never easy when 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 you're taking a biz, big loss your your odds of moving your stop somewhere else increase your odds of looking to add to the position increase your odds of making poor decisions go up and then especially i know for myself and and this is definitely true with a lot of other traders that i talk to is my worst days are my my like outlier worst red days if could if i just stopped trying to fight things could probably be cut by like 60 or 70% like 60 60 or 70% of the big losses could just be stopped immediately if if you were able to i mean and it's difficult because once you get to that negative emotional state it can become hard to take that loss and accept that that's your loss on the day even if even if the move that you're looking for might happen eventually or a reversal might happen etc yeah yeah uh I, I think you you almost nailed it with the uh if you're long and the stock's falling below averaging in like averaging down to hope for a bounce to come back up so you take a less of a hit. Um, that type of mindset to me is the, uh, and because I'm a small cap trader, it's the people who like to swing small caps off of Twitter news mindset where I'm going to bag hold until there is a bounce and then hopefully make money. And uh, as a long side trader, I don't know if you can see it much, but there have been a large amount of uh, stocks and people on Twitter that have done that. And, you know, there was, uh, I think his name was like, stand the trading man or something i don't know if you got to see that it was kind of funny um i don't he had a twitter and he was like specifically you did or you didn't no i didn't uh so story behind him and you hopefully you get a good laugh out of this he would uh he had 70k followers on twitter and he would tell well, not tell but tell you what to buy and what and when to sell and um the man was so famous on twitter that he was on i think it was like cnbc or something for trading and like how he did it and everything and then he got exposed for being married and then dming people on twitter to like hook up mm-hmm. and like a, a huge thing happened and it was all everybody followed him because people got the stimulus checks and they're like let me just put the money in the market and let me just buy a company xyz for 20 cents and it'll pop to 40 and they're like oh i just made so much money and then you realize let me start buying as it's going down and then in the small cap world and not as much in the large cap as stocks go down. Sometimes they don't come back up. Yeah, exactly. uh, In the, in the long run, you might, 
you could have success like that for a year or two or even you know two two years or something but eventually i mean the same as with shorting some uh small caps the market if your trading rules are not on point where you can't cut out those particular losses you will be put out of business in in the long run yeah yeah you can't you can't just average in consistently hoping for something to happen you know following those rules and i think that's the best way of going at it especially handling losses um something i look to do more and more of and it's i I need to get better at it it's it's focusing on better probability setups or like more of my a plus setups happening and having less less setups i know you said uh you have you know your long your shorts and your spreads with options which is beautiful because now you can trade in all types of market environments um how how many do you think is too many setups to have Hmm. i think it depends person to person i guess for me it depends on am i finding enough setups out there in the market like i have a i have a word document that lists all my different types of trading setups i'm actually about to re redo it soon now that it's been a few years since i've done it but i think on there i might have 15 or 20 trading setups i honestly don't even remember but i guess what i'm what i'm saying is even though i might have that many on there i'm not sitting there every day in my mind necessarily going through the checklist of saying like okay do i see this setup do i see this setup i have a few a handful that are definitely my main focuses and then there's certain other types of trades and situations that might not appear as often but when they do appear i still know that it's a setup that i like to trade and can trade and that's that's how it works for me okay so you you, there can be an infinite number of setups but you have your like go-to's or your like a plus setups that i would call yeah definitely and those are generally what you would see overall you've seen them enough that you don't even you know what happens you're like boom sizing in yep exactly okay um one one other topic I want to hit, and it's something not many traders do. Um, so while you trade stocks, and you you know you said you use your leverage and everything that comes in, you also have your options. Uh, but on your Twitter, I see uh, something not a lot of well known, more bigger people with followings trade. Uh, you are into uh, futures. It looks like. Yep, I I love trading futures actually. Um, for like for me, whether it be futures, options, small caps, large caps, I can't speak for forex because I don't really trade it. But I would imagine that it's the same. Like to me, any any of these things are just trading vehicles where buyers and sellers meet. So a lot of the same the similar patterns to me appear whether it be in futures whether it be in options etc and again i think this also boils down to have having depth in the playbook where i'm not going to sit there and trade futures every night but if it's if it's a sunday and we're in a spot where i think the market might have a little bit of a range or i i see something and there's some levels that i want to trade off of i'll do it yeah yeah i think um you hitting that and saying that like depth or versatility or anything going into it 
but what got you into futures? I think uh, a lot of people now don't actually know one what futures even are, or even how to trade them. You know, there's mini versus micros and and everything like that. What got you into that? What made me want to get into futures was so many times. I, you know, the, the market would close and I'd have my eye on something for the next day or a certain level or something. And so, so many times things, if, if something is set up really well, I'm sure, you know, the market will, will love to gap over it or try and make things really difficult for people to get involved in the good trades. So being able to trade futures helps me get involved in, in those types of moves. Um, Gold futures are something that I've traded a good amount this year, and and that's been good. And really, just having that versatility outside of market hours is yeah, is, the, yeah. is the biggest reason. No, I I like that. I think you know, like I said, I don't know how many people actually know what futures even are, how to trade them, um, because they are so unknown in the retail side of things. Um, but I know a large amount of hedge firms and. Uh, I don't know actually how much prop firms trade them, but I know hedge firms or hedge funds, large firms, uh, sit on them and they generally will just trade direction on that aspect of things. Um, one of the bigger things I want to talk about, and it's it's going back to technical analysis, um, what, what do you just trade? Is it supply and demand, indicators, patterns, you know, is it like MACD and RSI reversals? things like that what what overall do you look for besides what the market is which is supply and demand sure so my main i mean everything that i'm looking at boils down to supply and demand but as far as what indicators i use i'll I'll go through the list essentially um on my on my main chart i have a 200 EMA, a 50 EMA, a 21 EMA, and an 8 EMA. So those help give me a picture of a good picture of overall trend, and they'll also help tell me when we have conflicting conflicting signals or mixed signals. Um, you know, if a lot a lot of mistake a big mistake that I see a lot of traders make is something is set up for a particular pattern or a bull bull flag or a breakout or something, but it's below a declining 200 moving average. So in my book, that's a big avoid. Yep. Exactly. Overall bearish in a downtrend. All you people who use an eight EMA and a 21 EMA over the nine and 20 kill me. Just got to say that. (laughs) Um, So you're a nine and a 20. I'm a nine and a twenty EMA for short term and short to midterm trend, and you people who do eight and twenty one every time, I I just laugh because it's like one candle bar difference. But fair enough. Um, I mean, like for me, it it the difference between that is so like I if you threw a a nine and a twenty on my charts, I probably wouldn't even realize, and it probably wouldn't affect my trading very much because it would essentially tell me the tell me the same thing. Oh, agreed. It, it, I find it funny because you have the people who like live and die by those things, and I'm like, man, it's just one candle different. Yeah, yeah, ex- exactly. I, I know what you mean. Certain people will really try to probe those details, and, and they're not very important at the end of the day. Um. So before we even move on past the EMA, it's um. So EMA is the 
average moving candle or the average of all the candles and per number. Um, what do you, so 20 EMA, I assume is the long-term trend. Um, 50 200. midterm, 200, sorry, 200 is long-term 50. I would say midterm trend. Is that what you use it for? Yeah. And then 20 short to midterm or 21 short to midterm and eight to short term. Yeah, pretty much. Now, for you, when you when you look at these, you take all of these into factor, or do you just have them as like, you know, above the twenty or above the two hundred EMA? It's above the fifty EMA, and you see a nine and twenty getting close to consolidation for like a bull flag or something. You're like, okay, we have market psychology says that this should go up. Is that what you look for in that? Yeah, pretty much. I'm I'm always looking at all of them and how I'm looking at them and using them also depends on the setup. So if I'm looking, okay. you know, if how I'm using them to trade long breakout trades is very different than how I might be using them to trade a, a parabolic move um, and then certain types of trades. I'm trying to think if there's, I don't know if there's any time where I wouldn't really use or, or look at it, but but yeah, it, it depends on the context of the setup. Okay. So we've hit the EMAs or the moving averages overall. What Do you have anything else on your chart like VWAP, RSI, MACD, Bollinger Bands, uh, Ichimoku Cloud? I think so the other one. Volume is one of my favorites. Support and resistance are also one of my favorites. I know those are very simplistic, but they're... Volume tells the story. Yep, ex- exactly. I'd say vol- volume, support, and resistance, huge ones. And then market profile or vo- or volume profile i like ah, a lot so as well like volume at the price how yep. much volume is stuck in this zone yep which essentially tells you it's extremely similar to volume it's just it's now just saying okay i know how many shares or how much congestion has gone off in this area at what particular price so for me it gives a little bit more of a 3d view on where buyers and sellers are because I feel like when I first started trading, levels were a little more binary to me than they are now. Whereas now, I might sometimes buy a little bit earlier for a, a in a particular move than I would have because I'm rather than looking at the wicks of a few high candles or something, I'm looking at the I'm looking at the more congested area and. I mean, it, it can go both ways because sometimes maybe you get in slightly too early, but often you can get in a trade for a better in a better risk reward spot in a spot where things ideally start moving rather than just the high of one candle that where not a lot of trading has went off. So to me, that level, even though it's the high of a candle or something, that level isn't as important because there hasn't been a lot of trading there. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I know how you feel. So I actually use uh, volume profile heavily for my swings. Um, I, I tend to look at it as um, if I'm at a support point and there's a large amount of, as you said, congestion underneath me, I know that all these people, especially if I'm long buys, they they want the stock to go up. So they're going to try to support wherever it's at because they're already making money. And if I have an air pocket above me or like very little volume at those prices, I know that it should fly through those areas. I'm generally guessing that's how you're looking at it. Yep. Yep. Exactly what you said is is a big part of how I'll think about those things at times. 
Um, so with that, you know, you have multiple different strategies, long and short. Um, from what I'm seeing, you really do love your support and resistance, which I respect as all can be. That is the end all be all of technical trading is, uh, where do people want to buy and where do people want to sell? Uh, is there anything else you look at? MACD, RSI, oversold, undersold, overbought, whatever. Um, I don't use, I don't use RSI at all or divergences um i mean sometimes i might look at a a volume divergence or something but i won't necessarily make a whole decision based off of that um actually i'll use level two and time and sales in trading as well although those to me are not as important as technical analysis and 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 charting but being able to read a level two and time and sales can help at times with particular entries and I do have a, a trading setup or two where those are actually used a lot, a lot more as far as what might be a trigger for a trade. Interesting. I, looking at your charts, would more assume that you love seeing your patterns play out rather than um, looking at level two and tape and seeing, you know, flash of green come by or a huge bid prop or huge ask prop and all of that i think um new traders that's definitely going to be hard to understand completely experienced traders it's on a different end um what makes you actually use those versus just staring at a chart i know you said specific setups come up but uh do you look for anything crazy in them or is it just like you've seen this happen 20 different times you know what's going to happen um i mean it's it's definitely not easy and it's some, something that i'm looking to even get get better at still now but like if something is if something is coming into a support area for like a for a particular setup that i'm looking at i might i'm looking sometimes i'm looking at the rate of speed on the tape as well as certain buyers and sellers there there's times where i can see if a buyer or seller I can see them coming in and then sometimes you can tell if they start to break or, or aren't there anymore. I remember I'll I'll use an example of a, a breakout trade once. This this was actually a good a good trade that I made at a uh, when I was at the prop firm and using tape reading I was taking a breakout trade in Facebook and the thing was gapping up like 50 or 75 cents above the level that we wanted it to and if you were to just buy immediately right off the open there you're not gonna you're not getting a great price compared to where the level and stop is and your risk reward isn't as good. So you're like, shit, this is the trade I want to be in, but now I can't be buying at this price. So what am I gonna do? Um and then I use tape reading in that situation where I'm just watching price and watching the tape and the thing pulled in like forty cents and a block size offer of maybe like 20,000 shares went on the offer at like, let's say, let's say the price was 95 in Facebook. It opened it 95, 70. And then when it pulled down, it pulled down to like 95, 20, 20 or something. And then a 20,000 share offer came at 95, 35. And I put my buy stop on that offer so that I could buy that liquidity because a lot of times that that liquidity will will get bought out and that gave me a good entry and kind of like target zone to get in the trade that was still used in unison with 
what I was actually looking to do for the breakout trade. So and and you know if if you bought it if I bought it ninety five fifty cents and I didn't buy that liquidity, I still would have made money in the trade. So when it when it comes to time and sales on level two for me, it, it's not always an end all be all, but it can help with certain situations where like even if let's say I, I have an offer out somewhere and then I see someone coming with a big block of shares or someone's trying to to work and order a few cents before me, I'll just change I'll change I'll come and I'll change my offer and and get in front of them just so I can get filled. So when you're looking at the level two and you said, you know, you can kind of see um who's controlling it, you know, if you see like New York Stock Exchange or Arca or whatever come in, uh do you look for you know, the same same person to come around in a sense, or are you just looking to see this is that area that I'm looking at and this is, you know, they're supporting it or not? Or do you look at that at all or no? I'd say more so I'm looking at areas. Sometimes I can tell if it's the same person or one person, but a lot of people can be good at not making that very easy to tell. So it's, it's, it's definitely not an easy thing to tell, but I would say areas is, is the biggest Okay, and then um, I think we'll hit on this, uh, maybe end at the last one. If there's anything else, I'm happy to talk about. Um, you kind of said it, and I think it's uh, almost up there with uh, like market psychology and trading. It's how you go about uh, with a game plan, right? Like you see a stock gap up, you see like your setup happen or so on and so forth. You need to have a game plan. You can't just go and buy, right? Um, how important is uh, like planning your trades to you and, and what, what overall are you like looking for on a trade? Do you have like XYZ things need to happen or so on and so forth? Definitely big on planning and XYZ needs to happen, but planning, it, it can be tough to plan. I'll, I'll, I like to come up with a game plan, but sometimes you see a new trade on the fly and sometimes things don't always go according to plan so it's important to be able to kind of react and, and still make the right decisions where like one one really good trade isn't even necessarily the decision of okay here's the trade and now i'm going to take it it's a series of decisions of i didn't take i didn't enter here i saw this but now i'm not i'm still not entering so I think there's a lot that goes into it even I mean ideally it's ideally things have a particular level and and set up simpler but it doesn't always go that way. Interesting. I I would assume in large caps you know you're you're finding those like guaranteed setups and you can see them happen but I guess it's the same in every aspect where you know you have to react if you need to make the money and you can't always get your setups to come in. I just, I, I generally thought, you know, you guys would always have something to, the EMA balance at like the 50 or something would like almost show off consistently, but, huh. Definitely, definitely not always. I mean, something like a breakout trade, it's a little more clear cut, but then like I showed a lot of parabolic moves as well. So like Tesla, I forget what month it was. God, but... How do you fight against that thing? <laughs> I mean, I'm fortunately at this point in my career, I'm I'm a I'm still a green Tesla short, which has been. <laughs> the, I feel like 2020 has been a a true test of my skills as as a short seller, honestly, especially with with this Tesla. But 
I get, but th- I think this is a good example of it's not like okay, here's your level and here's where you get in. Like a a lot of things are happening and need to happen, and a lot of patience is required, and that's where coming up with a game plan uh, is is really important. So I think talking about this same trade, it was when Tesla in. I mean, the prices are different. I'm I'm looking at my chart right now. This was in July, but when Tesla pulled in like tw- maybe 15 or 20% in, in like two days. And I remember the day the day that I ended up shorting, I was sitting there and I like 15 minutes before I, 15 minutes before I, I shorted, I, I told two of my friends, I was like, I think tomorrow is the day for Tesla. Like I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do it. And then lo and behold, Tesla, kind of like gave a quick sharp pull in and then bounced again and then I also took a closer look at the at the volume that would that was showing me what I wanted to on on the shorter time frames and I was like well um now's the time so now I'm going to now I'm going to enter and and that ended up being it so even even though I was had been watching it and had a plan things can change it at any time got to say that's a uh... Definitely one of the few shorts on Tesla, at least like, ah, God, man, that's fighting against overall trends. Just staring at this thing, you know, gone parabolic twice and just hits consolidation and then goes parabolic again. Like, oh, that is that yep. is just respect <laughs> on that aspect. Um, But so you're shorting parabolics. Yeah, I'll I'll short parabolic moves. And I'll go. Ah, I'll, I'll go long things. I'll I'll long parabolic moves as well too. Um, sometimes I'll just sometimes I'll just try and hop in and join that trend for a quick trade. Um, I was trading this JKS earlier today. I mean, I lost on I lost on this trade today, but I'll Man, you trend I'll probably fighters. I'll probably look to short it again in the next day or two. I definitely could say it, it has at least JKS. Jeez, what? Not even in September, it was down at twenty three dollars. And, and I guess this this almost brings up a point of um liquidity in the market, uh, or at least liquidity in whatever you're trading. I mean, I mean, JKS. I don't know its float or any anything really about it, but there there's no way that in a matter of two months something should have gone up from twenty to eighty dollars. So, uh, on your aspect of shorting a parabolic, there should be a pullback at some point, correct? Yeah, I mean the timing—the timing is really difficult. And yeah, the, and is there what... is there something you look for, or are you just like, you know, this is where I'm seeing a pullback happen. I'm gonna enter and just risk it and like have your sets, or I mean, I'll the tr- the trick is getting in after. A top has been put in, which is much easier said than done. Like it's, I mean, it's definitely you need to keep watching these moves happen over and over again to to really to be able to avoid getting in at the wrong times and to then also get in at the right time. So today, today was the first time that I shorted this JKS. I've been I've been watching this for the past for the past two or three weeks waiting to see if momentum picks up and for there to be a, a good spot to get in short and i for so today when 
JKS like... put in the high at like eighty five fifty, and then it pulled in like four points. I was like, okay, maybe now some weakness is starting to come in. So then when it popped to eighty three, I I shorted some, but it was it's still too strong and it's not ready yet. Okay, so you're you're kind of like, uh, in a sense, shorting the bag holders. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's a, that's okay. a, when it when it comes to me shorting par- parabolics. That's exactly what I'm doing. Like these monster moves, at some point, you know, somebody is going to be buying too late, and when those people buy too late, and they start to then be underwater they're gonna have to sell at some point too so i'm looking to join and short the bag holders but it's i mean it you know it's definitely not easy the timing no, no. The, time, the timing is is really difficult there there's plenty of days where i'm like shit i should just be i'm i'm trying and working on getting better at going long some of these things but yeah well i and and to your your side of things here i want to say i think um Shorting into resistance is a lot easier than buying at support, right? I think um, overall market uh, makes it once something's weak, you know, there's blood in the water type of things. Whereas like something strong, oh, how strong can this be or how long can this go? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I'll, I have, there's certain trades where I'll definitely be looking to, to buy at support as well. But I think it, it can be, it can be easier at least it can be easier to at least say, okay, because this thing has gone up so much that at least at some point it's going to pull back versus me being able to tell you which stock I think is going to be the next one to, to really go parabolic. So you're telling me I can't follow your Twitter and make millions. <laughs> no. Damn I, it. Well, it's it's i mean i think that's a good point because i mean i post a lot of charts and stuff but two of us could be two of us could be looking at the same the same chart and still trade it differently i remember even being up being at the prop firm there'd be times where we're trading the same thing as one of my bosses and i mean they'll be there sometimes talking to us about what they're seeing and whatnot and we can and we can still get different results so execution is is king as far as any of this is concerned and even if we know or, or even if we think that a stock is going to pull back at some point how we go about it what signals we use etc how patient we can be are we taking our stops are we using proper risk management all all of these things are going to come into play for sure that's uh i always like making the joke that uh you know you have those twitter gurus out there and um or, or what is it those like um buy alert sites things i don't know if you've seen those you can like buy alerts when a stock's gonna go you buy like you pay them and they alert you to buy in at this point risk this point i'm like uh what are you seeing would be better to tell me and i think that's something you do great like just staring at something here you know you have your screenshot of i'm just staring at triple q um and you have you know your support your resistance lines and you're saying it's playing out as you had planned based on uh, a pattern to see. And it's, it's a pattern that I think it looks like more of an upward wedge that pulled back to support. And my line here is, I you know, upward wedges generally are a bearish pattern, but you had it planning out exactly where you had as trend's going to hold and then trend will break. 
it'll hold and support where there is a large amount of volume and go up. From the aspect, I see a uh, upward wedge, and I'm like, oh, that is bearish. I should probably short. And you're like, well, we got support right under it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think having multiple scenarios helps. And as far as alerts go, like the market moves fast too, where sometimes there's going to be trades that you don't have a lot of time to get in, where even if you're getting an alert, it it might not work. I mean, I think that there's a lot of good resources out there for, for people to learn how to trade and, and it's alerts may not necessarily be a bad thing when learning and trying to figure out things to do, but like I'll, I'll, I'll put together watch lists and, and try to talk about ideas and stuff, which to me is, is more important than alerts. If it was as easy as everybody just following everybody's alerts to make millions of dollars, then there'd probably be a lot more of us with a lot more money out there. Agreed. I think, you know, you nailed it with saying like a watch list or even just going over, like talking out a watch list in your game plan for a trade and, and giving your idea of what's going to happen. But you can't say, Oh, Facebook's breaking out this level buy right now. And it's already broken out of that level. You know, like you said, you can't, that's just market happens too fast and too, uh, too much. I want to say, uh, the moment the volume comes in, it, it spikes, and I think you nailed that uh, right on the head there with the alerts. Um, and and putting out the watch list, I think, might be one of the biggest um, biggest things. Um, so I want to hit one more thing as more of a funny topic. Um, hopefully lighten this up from being as dead serious as trading normally is. Um, sure. What is your favorite broker versus your least favorite broker? I'm generally okay, assuming okay. Robinhood is your least favorite. <laughs> I mean, I honestly, I don't, I don't hate Robinhood as much as the average person do. I, I feel like the fintwit world gives Robinhooders the short end of the stick most of the time. But I remember when Robinhood first came out, and I was like, "Oh shit, free trading!" Like that sounds. They re they revolutionized the game. Really, there's been other brokers that have been forced to, forced to move up move over to free trading so i definitely don't i definitely don't hate robin hood although there are a lot of people that being said there's definitely a bunch of robin hooders who have zero desire to put any real work into mar into the market and figure things out but but going back to your question um least favorite and most favorite i guess for most favorite i'm going to give you two because they're pretty similar. Lightspeed was a brokerage that was used by my prop firm. So that was the first brokerage that, or that was the brokerage that I had that when I was sitting in front of a screen full time and it was just, it was cool. It was a really cool layout and it was really cool to have the full-time and sales tape access and it showed execution dots on your charts so when you bought something you could literally see right there on the chart where you got in it's also also when you put offers out you can literally see your your order highlighted on the level two and, and it like ah, flick, nice. flickers up and down as price is moving up and down and and then like as you get filled it like moves to the top and and, and goes off so it's so that that's definitely my favorite and then i use i I use Sterling Trader Pro now through Cobra Trading, um, for the pretty much for the same reason as using Sterling over Daz. What? Sterling over Daz. Interesting. I like the I like the look of Sterling better than than Daz. That's fair. 
Uh, it just, it looks, it looks more. It looks more. I, it looks more sophisticated. When I used <laughs> DOS, I was. I was. I don't know why they just don't make the interface look a little bit nicer. That was. That's honestly the only reason. Come on, man. You don't want to see Windows XP on your screen. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> um. Okay. So. 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 Lightspeed one. Um. From what I've seen of it, amazing fills. Same along the lines of Sterling and um, Daz, of course. Um, but uh, with Lightspeed, and uh, as a long intro bias trader, from my knowledge, does Lightspeed just not have uh, locates, or is that just only in the small cap world? They have locates, but one of my one of my friends. So when when I was at the when I was trading prop, we have locates there. When I was over there, I wasn't trading small caps, and I remember I remember there was a day where I even had to get locates on shorting tesla and i never had problem getting locates over there but then i have a friend who who he you he went over to lightspeed uh, probably a few months ago maybe a little bit longer and he was having tri- he, he was having trouble getting some certain locates on small cap stocks whereas other brokers were still able to have locates so that's the reason why i'm not at lightspeed right now Okay, yeah, I just I've heard that that's been a thing for Lightspeed is that yep. they've had some struggle with locates, uh, and then you're with Cobra, so you can swing shorts overnight without worrying about anything. Yep, I probably at least in the small cap world will not be doing that very often, or only with a partial position. Oh, in, in small caps, I I wouldn't say you know you take your money and run in small caps. Uh, yep, but large caps, you know, you have ranges that you can trade and you can swing short overnight, which I think. It's like zero interest on swing shorting overnight with Cobra, if I'm not mistaken, where uh, center point and so on and so forth have uh, overnight fees. And I think that that's probably I think great ha- for you. I think they the have time. overnight fees, but I do believe that it's cheaper than the rest. And Okay. I, and it, it, the fees, I'm, I'm usually not, cons- cons- I think it might be, I think theirs might be two and a half percent but I, I, I that might even be on an annualized basis so if you're only swinging something for a few days then you're going to be looking to get more you're you should hopefully be getting more of a move than what you're paying in those fees anyway so well i mean even even coming from like a free broker say like even just coming from td to like cobra or something uh if, if you're making that move your trade should be making more than what you're going to be paying in commission or ecn fees or anything right yep exactly um and then the last little little uh thing I want to say uh TD Ameritrade Thinkorswim or TradingView which charting platform I use Thinkorswim Okay I, I agree there, there's I, just I've never used tra- TradingView does look does look pretty cool but uh Thinkorswim is the one that got me into market profile and it's free so uh, agreed agreed I know that I've seen, especially from the non-US people who day trade, uh, Thinkorswim, you have to have like $500 or $5,000 in an account to have it or something, or TradingView is free. So I know people use it. Um, I've just seen some arguments going online where people argue, uh, which one would you rather use? And I truly still think Thinkorswim is the best trading platform of all time. Yeah, I think Thinkorswim to me has been the the best as well and at the end of the day you can get probably almost the same information from both of them so it's it's really what you're looking for and what works for you agreed agreed uh i mean everything beats das's 1999 look but (laughs) 
you trade it for their execution. They, they lost Nothing me else. strictly for the strictly for the book. <laughs> I'm, I'm not shocked. <laughs> I know a lot of people who don't use DAS because of how it looks. I know people who are with Trade Zero and pay like an extra twenty bucks a month to get the Trade Zero platform, and I'm like, wow, you guys are uh, you're killing me. Um, so so with all that, with with everything, I think I know you have a dinner reservation coming up. I don't want you to miss your dinner. I understand how that feels. Um, let's go ahead and we'll end it here. Uh, any promotions, anything you want to do, you know, your Twitter is going to be in the bio, of course, and anything I can find social media wise will be in the description for the YouTube video and everything. Uh, any, any promotions, anything you want to shout out, shout out any person. Definitely check out my Twitter. I I post a lot of charts and, and everything on there. I actually also am working on growing the following and I run a service with uh, a few other people called EFO equities futures options where we give out watch lists and and you know we talk about trades that we're in and go through charts and and provide a lot a lot of information for new traders for for me going to a prop firm even though I quit my job too early and I ended up having to go back to work that knowledge has been paramount at this point in my career by actually being able to go and and, and learn from people so I I know people will talk bad about services sometimes, but if if you go to the right people, I do think that there's value there. And for a f- one good idea a month, you could essentially cover cover the cover the cost, and and that knowledge really I, I think pays dividends in the long run. And oh, I, I, guess, I mean, I agree there. And la- lastly, I'll say just for me the most from going to trading full time to having to go back to work to then going ahead full-time trading the single most important thing in my book is is mindset if you have the right mindset you will keep going rather than giving up i remember pretty much everybody who started trading with me in the prop firm at that exact time none of us none of us got profitable at that time and i can tell you that most of them probably if not all of them are not trading to this day and I just I remember when I when I quit the prop firm, it the only thing, I wasn't like oh no like this was such a horrible idea like like now I'm gonna have to go and do something else. I remember leaving and in my mind it was just like okay so now the, now I need to go and get another job and then I'm gonna try and save X amount a month and then at this point in time I'll be able to put money in and, and while I'm doing that I'm gonna go through my playbook and try and improve upon the things that i learned and at no point in time did i even consider quitting or, or doing something else and and that mindset is what allowed me to keep going and get to the point now where a lot of that stuff that i learned and could have been wasted is now paying off no i i i agree with the mindset and i want to say for um services or anything like that you know where i was talking shit on alert services i'm not talking shit on having a conversation or having a mentor um mentors with experience for new traders are probably one of the best things ever um and i think that paying for a mentorship is the same idea as paying for college or paying for school you pay to go to college to learn something you are paying a person to teach you how to do things. And even if they are making millions a year trading, I, from every, every mentor I've ever talked to, 
they want to make sure you're serious enough to go into trading. And like you said, I think, you know, if you're paying a thousand dollars a year, if I can make more than a thousand dollars in trading, then the course is paid for itself. So I, I want to make sure that that's put out there for you and for every other mentor um, out there. And, and for you coming in with this, with prop firm experience, talking to people I've been in, you know, they've been trading since the nineties at prop firms. You have experience coming into this, right? Yep, exactly. And at the end of the day, if you're someone who is going to blindly take alerts, you're not going to be able to, you're not going to be able to put things in the context of your own risk tolerance, your own suitable strategies. So, so many different factors go into it where if you want to, if you want to be a sheep, you're going to get slaughtered is what it boils down to. Yeah. Yeah. I think you, uh, you saying that and, and getting it out there. And I think that, you know, there's that whole mindset where, um, chat rooms are bad or whatever, and they have pumps, but if you're actually learning, I think it's well worth it. Um, so along with that, it's equity futures options. Yep. So you're getting everything. That is a great, great service there. Um, and yeah, we'll, uh, link that in the description, of course. Uh, so follow you on Twitter at T underscore money, 610, Bobby Schmurda, solid choice of names. <laughs> yep. Just T, T money, T money was, became my nickname on the trading desk when I was at the prop firm. And then I decided for Bobby Schmurda one day. I, I love it. Also, uh, I am putting the quote to the video. It's nothing that has been said, but, uh, one of my favorite things through scrolling, scrolling through your Twitter is when Lamborghini said, and I quote, we don't do commercials because our target audience isn't sitting around watching TV. That hit me. God, I love that right there. I just want you to know that. That is right? beautiful. I, I, love, I love that too. I I watch, honestly, I, I don't watch TV at all these days. Like literally, literally zero. I just, I don't have time for it. And I have other stuff that I'd rather be doing with my time. And I guess last thing I'll see is I also hate hate watching sports because I think that instead of watching someone else getting really good shape and get rich you could do something else with your time but but also if that's what you like to do to relax like i know there's that side of it too so i don't want to be too much of a too much on a high horse of of no tv like the a healthy amount of anything can be good just make oh, sure make oh, sure you, make sure you, you're still doing the things that you need to do whether in in the market and trading and in your life and that's most important i think you nailed it with saying there's a healthy amount of things i think that is the the right thing there. Just see, just seeing that quote and having that understanding of everybody says when they're, you know, 18, 19, they want a Lambo. You're not getting a Lambo from watching TV. You're getting a Lambo from grinding and learning something and applying yourself and then going through all of your life doing that. That is how you get a Lambo. Now, I'm not a Lamborghini person myself. I would prefer a different supercar. What, what, what would you uh, be? Your, what's, what's your supercar? Uh, so I have a mix of two. I have my dream car as a child, my realistic dream car as a child with an Audi R8 or a i8 from BMW, uh, or my dream car that I will never touch, which is a McLaren. Okay, awesome. I truly don't even care what McLaren. Um, at that point, I can just say I have a McLaren. Yeah, right. Uh, but my conservative self cannot say that a McLaren is a worthwhile investment. I can make a million dollars a day and still not want to buy a McLaren because I'm too cheap, personally. <laughs> yeah, and it's like before to spend that much money on a car, you need so many other ducks in a row. Like 
a nice house. I need X amount of money invested before I can then go and put money into a supercar like that. I mean, I definitely want to spend that much money on a car one day because I like really expensive things, but <laughs> it's it's going to take some time. No, I agree. You, you're not pulling up to an apartment building in a McLaren. Or just, just not. Yep. I, I, li- I live in an apartment now, and I even thought about that. I was like, my one friend was like, if you get a really nice car right now, like you realize you you don't want to park that on your street in like an apartment. I was like, damn, you're right. <laughs> you're not wrong in that situation. No, I think that uh, that mindset is, is the right mindset of, you know, Lamborghini doesn't have commercials. So I think you nailed that. Um, it was great talking to you. I actually, I'm going to try to keep in contact with you now that my life is in order and I don't have all those bills to pay and all that stuff to keep up. I want to keep up with this. I actually, uh, with every person I ever have on this podcast, Come a year from now or two years from now, uh, knock on wood, as long as this thing's still going, I want to have you back on and I want to see the uh, change that has happened because any person that I I plan to bring on here um, is financially free, working towards being financially free and has the mindset I think that needs to be taken. So if you're down a year from now, two years from now, whenever, hop back on another call for an hour or so, talk it out and uh, see what has changed. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think that would be awesome. And that'd be really cool, especially for, you know, you can anybody can just go and quit their job. But to then be able to sustain that and keep doing the right things and and let every all the work that you've been doing play out, I, I think that it would be really cool to come back on. So I think it's a great. Perfect. Idea. I, I yeah. So, I, you know, like you said, having you can always quit or you can always become financially free, but staying financially free is the goal. And. Uh, I, I expect you to do it from everything I'm seeing here and the conversation we've talked. I, I think that you're, while I'm not a large cap trader, uh, as a technical trader, you're following better than what I follow myself. So <laughs> if I can become financially free, I think you can do better than me. So appreciate it. Looking forward to yeah. uh, both of us, both of us still being here in a year or two. Well, trading is an addiction and it's bad for me. So. Worst case scenario, I'm still working and trading. Best case scenario, I'm just trading. Um, yep, no, it was great nothing, talking to you. Nothing wrong with that either way. I, I, I recommend to most people that they definitely stay working for a while. But Do not trade if you don't have the money to uh, do that full time. Or don't put money that you don't have into trading. That's a better way of saying it. Yep. Don't put your rent check into the market. It's not worth it. Exactly. Uh, so it was great having you. We'll link it all. Uh and I will talk to you in, hell, it could be six months if you're just popping off like crazy. So, Awesome. I appreciate it. Thank, thanks for having me on. This is the first time I've been on a podcast. And I mean, w- one of the reasons I I like talking about my story on Twitter is because I think it's a great example of, I think people need to see the struggles that we go through and how even just because you failed a very bit a very have a very very big failure that's not the end and that you can still put that time and, and effort to use and, and get what you want out of it agreed agreed and that so your story that whole failed and somehow did it again story is what people need to realize it's not always going to work perfectly the first time but you stick at it and you stick to what you know and everything you will get to where you want to get to and uh so thank you for being so actually inspirational by the way that is something people need to know. 
Yeah, no, no problem at all. I do it for for everyone else and myself because you need to keep yourself inspired along along the way. Really, it's not uh, one day you say to yourself, "Oh, I want to do this," and then what happens when your parents tell you trading is gambling? Don't do this with your life, and then you end up still losing all of your money, and then they're just like, "See, I told you so." What are you going to do then? And that it's those moments that separate the winners from the losers. Trading is a uh profitably gambling yeah yeah that's my that's my how i've told it to every single person i'm like no no my trades have a probability of winning gambling does not have a probability of winning the house makes 51 cents per dollar i'm not being i'm not i don't want to be a loser i'm already a loser when i walk into gambling so exactly uh so yeah again love to talk to you again hopefully in six months when we both pop off but uh if it's a year i'm not worried about it and uh, yeah, it was great talking to you. It was great talking to everybody here. Hopefully you like the ep- uh, hopefully you like the episode. And uh, we will be back with more down the road. And T Money will be back down the road. Have a good one, everyone. Awesome. Thanks again.